Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Well, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the almond cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk. Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there anytime. So if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends and you are in for such a treat. I just finished talking with another PT, another inquiring PT, meaning someone who is really searching to improve their understanding of the body, of the nervous system, to help their clients. Rick Olderman. Rick Olderman is a physical therapist. He is an author. He is really a genius. I just could have talked to him for hours. And in fact, we're going to have a part two. So do me a favor. And after you listen to us talk today, please send me any questions that you would like to hear him talk about in our part two, because he is a wealth of knowledge, combining his 25 years of practice with lots of different trainings and coming up with some simple ways to help you fix your pain. He's created the Fixing You Method, helping eliminating pain naturally without surgery or medication. And we talk about his work with back pain, with shoulder pain, like understanding how the shoulder blade creates neck pain or headaches. Rick has, has had people from all over the world purchase tens of thousands of his books and programs, and you get to hear from him now. So please enjoy and remember to write me with any questions. I'm so excited to have Rick on my podcast. Welcome, Rick. So happy to have you on today. I always love having another physical therapist and getting other insights and introducing my audience to other um, voices in this realm. So thank you for being here. Oh, gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you. So thanks for having me. Well, first, before we launch into where you are currently, I'd, I'd love to learn about how you decided to become a PT. It's always interesting to hear people's journey. Uh, well, when I was younger, uh, I had back pain. And um, I went to a PT. He helped me with that back pain for, you know, a couple sessions. It lasted a couple weeks, but came back again. And I was thinking about going to PT school at the time anyway. So I thought, you know what? I, I, intuitively, I felt that the back pain was due to something I was doing with my body. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go to PT school and try and learn the insider secrets of what's going on here. Uh, but as you might know, uh, those insider secrets never came. <laughs> oh, so yeah. uh which you know started me on this whole path of figuring this out for myself yeah so just for the for people who are listening because i think physical therapists are, are looked at like doctors and other people that you, you come to when you have a problem and 
how would you explain as you know a practitioner and I, I feel the same way as you like that we don't we sometimes have some answers but we don't necessarily have the ability to give all that information help people in the session do you think it's a combination of you need experience plus the knowledge you need time with the patient what how do you feel about this conundrum that many of us face as physical therapists yeah, so I, I think it's, it's a really great question. So, and I, I distill it down to this. We are taught in PT school to look at components of the body and to drill down into understanding tissues, what happens when tissues are torn or disrupted in some way and treating those tissues. And we have, a, a as you know, a million tests to decide to figure out which tissue is it that's damaged, right? Or scans or whatever but there's not one test that talks about why those tissues are injured in the first place. And so this is what I thought I was gonna learn in PT school is the whys, because I intuitively, like I said, I felt that something I was doing was causing damage to my tissues. But that connection, it's like this, we, we learn this anatomy physiology, we learn how to treat sprains, strains, post-surgical things. But if you have any kind of chronic pain issue, there is a pathway from anatomy physiology to chronic pain. And I wasn't taught that. And that bore out in my first job after PT school, uh, where I was just a miserable failure for anyone with chronic issues. And so uh, what I've, my, my approach right, right, that I've developed is more of this systems approach to solving pain rather than a component thinking. Component thinking is great for acute issues. Uh, it works really well for that stuff. But anytime there's a chronic issue, or if something becomes chronic, it's usually because they need a systems solution, not just a component solution. Yeah, so for anybody listening, I think the difference is, like, think about this. Like, you're on the sidelines at a soccer match and someone gets injured. Using those diagnostic tools there could be very helpful to figure out, like, well, what happened? Did this person actually tear their ACL? Is this is the patella, mal whatever it is, right? But... Um, that's like a very small percentage of the population. The more of the population that we see are people that are coming in with non-acute injuries uh, that have developed. And when we talk about systems, we have to look at like, well, what are they, what is it their regular day life like? What are they doing that is overloading this particular area in an imbalanced way that causes a strain, that causes the brain to sense some kind of uh, danger or warning and that is signaling out these um, messages of pain. And so it's it's multifaceted. I mean, that's the thing is it's not cookie cutter. And unfortunately, these clinics, and I know you're an orthopedic specialist, and orthopedic specialists are very good at like staying in the lanes of whatever, say, the issue is, the knee joint, the, the hip joint. And I'm sure you realized pretty soon in, in being disappointed at not being able to help people well enough that just because somebody is injured in the knee, it might have nothing to do with the knee. Can you talk a little bit about how, what, what revelations you had about that and then how you decided to do something about it? Well, sure. I mean, as I touched on with my first job, I was a miserable failure. I was sunk into a deep depression because of it, because I felt like, wow, this is what I really thought I was meant to do. And here I am. I'm terrible at it. And so and it was a small town. I was even ashamed to go into the grocery store. Because mm. I, yeah, I didn't want to run into any of my patients who I couldn't help, you know. And so eventually I moved to Denver and I got this job at this athletic club and uh, it didn't have a PT associated with it. And when people learned that I was a PT, my schedule was instantly full. And it was because, I mean, these are well-to-do people who have seen multiple practitioners. And suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, it's not just me. That's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's everybody. It's the, yeah, it's the system of uh, yeah it's, of our healthcare. Yeah, that started me on this journey of trying trying to understand because I had to throw out all of the treatment stuff that I learned in school, at least in terms of chronic pain, and so I started observing people, and that's where I began with everything. So then that led to taking Dr. Shirley Saruman's courses. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know that. She's yeah. like, she, I love, that's like whenever I, you know, and I kind of sometimes will get into these internet battling with young PTs, no offense to the young PTs. I love you who are like, well, research doesn't, but, and I'm like, right. you know what, if you just go to Shirley Sarman's books, 
she has she was way ahead of the research and it yeah. has been timeless. Everything that she would talked yes. about 40 years ago is absolutely the same today. Yeah. And it's like because of this in, like integrative approach. So, oh, yes. well, I love you. I love you already. I didn't even know so that you were a Shirley she was Simon the fan. First, yeah. She was my first podcast guest on my, on my podcast. Oh my gosh. Be I'll have to because listen. Because I had so many yeah. questions for her, but anyway, so she really helped me and I started getting people better significantly, but then there was a limit to that. And I thought, you know, something's got going on there. There's something more than just what Shirley has. And that's what led me to Thomas Myers anatomy trains, uh, fascia information and understanding, Oh, look at all of these other areas of the body that feed into the same system of problems. So once I started doing that, I, I, I you know, it helped me look further away from the, from where the pain was, but then, and I started getting more people better, but then that led and, to, you know, I started seeing even more difficult patients, really serious chronic pain issues. And there, these patients, they seem to have a battery that was charging their bodies to remain in these dysfunctional patterns of dysfunction. And, and so I thought, you know, what, what is going on with this battery? Where, where's this neural energy coming from? And that's when I discovered Thomas Hanna's work in Hanna Somatics. And so this is the interesting thing, Laura, is that Dr. Shirley Saruman identifies three primary patterns of dysfunction leading to most back pain. Those correspond almost identically with Thomas Meyer's anatomy trains. Thomas Hanna is looking at things from a completely different neurological standpoint. He identified the exact same three patterns of issues. And so when I, when I got this, I'm just like, holy smokes, I've got to put all this stuff together. And what I felt that they were all three missing was more drilling down into our daily movement habits that are contributing to these patterns of dysfunction. So once I started go, drilling down into that and figuring those things out, then, I mean, oh, it wow. just blew the roof yes. off. The, off yes. the, it was just amazing. So that's, okay, that's so the let, journey. Let's, yes, I love it. I love it. It's like bringing all the puzzle pieces together. Yes. And um, again, in a typical clinic setting, we are not allotted a, the time to really Educate, educate. I mean, I, I, that's what I think our biggest job is as physical therapists is educating. And because people have to know, they have to know why this matters, why, why their daily habits matter, why they have to observe, you know, how they're sitting, how they're standing, how they're moving, the choices they're making, um, what they're doing repetitively, what, where they're not, you know, kind of aligned and all that. But can you break down, for example, like back pain? Yeah. Um, what, so example, like how Shirley would have thought about this person coming in and then how Thomas Myers and then going into Thomas Hanna, like kind of how those three all blend together with this. So say somebody comes in and they're complaining about chronic low back pain sure. and they, you know, I'm sure they're mal, their skeleton, you know, their posture is not great. Yeah. So why, why don't I take your listeners through a little back pain test? Yeah. And then I'll, I'll and then I'll, I'll, this will kind of bring, all of this together for them so they can feel it in their own bodies. Uh, so those of you watching or listening, do the test because you can hear what Laura and I are talking about and it may make sense to you and say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But until you feel it in your body, you won't really know the truth of what's going on with you. And this is a fundamental test So for back pain. So uh, everyone, if you can, lie down on the floor with your legs straight, okay? And feel what your back feels like in this position. And now bend your knees so your feet are flat on the floor. And if you don't feel a difference in your back in this position, go ahead and hug your knees to your chest if you like. All right. So, uh, Laura, you know the answer to this. Which position will feel better for just about everyone with back pain? Probably with the feet down or the knees in. <laughs> you definitely yeah, not the, with the, the legs out. <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the knees bent in some way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and if, if you're still doing this test, folks at home, you can feel that when your legs are straight, your back arches a little bit more. And you can feel that when your knees are bent, your back is flatter. But the mistake a lot of people make is that, oh, they think then, oh, I've got to make my back flatter. Well, it's not necessarily that you have to make your back flatter. I want you to think about it like this. When your legs are straight, you have forces, muscles that are attaching into your pelvis from your legs that are pulling your pelvis forward and causing the arch in your back, which is hurting your back. When we bend our knees, we're removing those forces from the legs that are acting on the pelvis, which restores the back 
arch to its normal position that it's designed to be in. So it's not that your back has to be flatter, it's that we have to remove forces trying to pull it into an arch. So what are some of these forces? So here's the second part of the test. Go ahead and now stand up and listen to the rest of this podcast. So many of you will find that after about a minute or two of standing, that you're gonna be locking your knees backwards into a straight position, okay? So go ahead, and if you're not doing that right now, just for the sake of going through the test, go ahead and lock your knees straight back and feel what your back feels like in this position. Now, go ahead and unlock your knees and feel what your back feels like in this position. And if you don't notice a difference, lock the knees once more and you'll feel that when your knees are locked backwards, your back is arching more. Well, we just found out that when your back is arching more, it hurts more on the floor. And now we've discovered that one of your habits of locking your knees backwards is contributing to the excessive arching of your back. So one of the easiest things that I tell people to do to solve their back pain is to start unlocking their knees when they're standing and walking. So no one in our clinic with anything from back pain on down to the foot got out of our clinic without us teaching them how to walk better. Because ultimately walking is such a fundamental activity that we do, that's usually the source of a lot of this chronic pain issue. And it can be little things like this unlocking the knees. And so that's what I mean by, uh, this is when, when I talk about me drilling down into habits, these are the types of habits that I've discovered that are causing these patterns that Dr. Shirley Saruman, Thomas Myers, and Thomas Hanna have discovered that are causing, this plays into the one big pattern causing most back pain is an excessive arching in the back. They All three have identified this as one of their patterns. Uh, amen. And let me just say, this is what I preach about in lit yoga all the time, because what I noticed is when I was observing and even teaching more of a traditional vinyasa. It was this lock knees, fold forward, and there was all kinds of stuff happening up and down the chain that was I recognized was really not great. And then you have gravity uh, just kind of helping you flop over. But it was reinforcing these suboptimal habits on the mat. And I was like, well, let me flip this and actually use the mat as an opportunity to teach better habits. So I tell everybody, when you're hit, hinge at your hips and bend your knees. There's none of this big forward fold with the knees locked because most people can't move well enough in the hips and have enough of that back fascial opening to do that with a neutral spine. So they go from this, you know, anterior tilted pelvis squished lumbar spine to then flex lumbar spine um, without much, without any core support. And then they mm -hmm. wonder why their proximal hamstrings hurt or the low back hurts, et cetera. So this is super important because it's, it's retraining. And you, and if you have to, I always say, if you have to bend your knees the rest of your life to hinge for it, great. Like don't, because yes. pushing them back is only going to, is, you know, most likely going to um, tilt the pelvis forward and then put that strain on the low back. Correct. And also it relieves you of the responsibility of controlling your body well. Yes, exactly. Because you're displacing your that center of mass, you know, right. and the the goal is to be able to move in the hips as they're made to these like wonderful balls as you control that center of mass and not Correct. burden the low back. Okay. Yeah. So that's great. C Continue on. I, I just wanted to add on. This is why when P and it's funny because usually non-physical therapists and, and people will sometimes be like, well, aren't you supposed to do this? And I'm like, we have to think about this. And, and, and just because we've been told something doesn't mean it's right. Correct. This is, I, a lot of it's about dispelling medical myths, yes. right? Leg length discrepancy, core strengthening, all sorts of things. So here's how this played out. And here's how this pattern of issues. Now, folks, this is one of three patterns identified by all three of these major researchers. So, and it's called an extension problem, which means that the back is either too arched or it has too many forces trying to pull it into an arch. And so, uh, all right, so how this played out in a real patient is I had a, a woman coming to see me for, she had plantar fasciitis. Well, it turns out she was a division one swimmer in college and had to leave her program because of back pain. No one could solve it. And, she, and that was 15 years earlier. So here she was 15 years later, she was in so much pain, Laura, that just walking to my table, she had to rest. You could see her just fighting the pain. And when she sat down and even any 
change in body position. She was in so much pain. I said, gosh, that plantar fasciitis must be killing you. And she's like, oh, this isn't the plantar fasciitis. This is my back pain. But you can't help me with that. No one's been able to help me with that. And boy, nothing gets me going yeah, more right. than someone telling me I can't help them. So anyway, uh, she was in so much pain, I couldn't even do my evaluation. So because everything would test positive, right? So uh, for, fortunately, because I understand how the body works as a system, I saw exactly what the problem was just watching her walk to my table. So we cut the session short. I put two little pieces on the backs of her knees. And I said, uh, this is going to keep your knees from locking. And uh, let's come back in a few days and see how it goes. Not only was her plantar fasciitis 75% improved, but also her back pain of 15 years in three days. Amazing. So this is the connection like you were talking about Thomas Meyer's work. And he, he describes one of those fascial superhighways is from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet, right? And yeah. so this is, even though it's comprised of a whole bunch of muscles, it's all connected fascially, all right? So if you change, we, what we did, all we did was we changed one element of her fascial line, superhighway. And that was enough to take the stress off the rest of the fascial highway. And this is why one, this is how, when you look at things from a system standpoint, you can make massive changes with small changes in therapeutically. I love that. Yeah, I call that the feety pajamas fascial line because it's like putting on that zipper pajamas yeah. with a little hood. Oh, I like and that. Yeah, and it's kind of like, I mean, it's like you put on something that fit you four years ago, but it doesn't fit you now and, and you're trying to move with it and it feels restricted and that's, and so what do you do? You like change one part of that to make it a, a little bit um, like less of a drag. And it is it is incredible. But unless you look at beyond where the the the, the point of pain is, uh, this you aren't going to you aren't going to find that. And it's it seems so simple. And yet it is. But it's not being it used enough. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, so that's just one story. There are so many. But I'm sure uh, I'm sure. I, I don't know if you want to go into one of the other primary I would love patterns. To. Yes. Okay. So this is another primary pattern that Dr. Saruman, Thomas uh, Myers, and and Thomas Hanna were all agreed on. And uh, Dr. Saruman describes it as a rotation problem, but I had never had success as a physical therapist fixing rotation problems. And it wasn't until I got to Thomas Hanna they describe it as a withdrawal reflex pattern which is a side, what I call now a side bending problem. And what that is, is this is, this is probably at work with people with unilateral back pain or with unilateral sciatic pain, SI joint pain, things like that. What it is, is there's an elevation of your pelvis, all right, on one side. So right now I'm, I'm showing the right side and I'm lifting the pelvis up so it's higher than the left side of the pelvis. But there's also a, a depression of the right-sided rib cage too. And as you can imagine, if you have the pelvis going up and the ribcage coming down, there creates more compression on that side of the vertebra, which is where all the sciatic nerves are emanating from that comprise the sciatic nerve. And so anyway, this is the second major pattern. So the reason Dr. Sarman describes it as a rotation problem is because in neutral spinal mechanics, side bending causes rotation. And if you look at all of our textbooks, it describes things from a rotation standpoint. Hardly any textbook describes things from a side bending standpoint. Once I saw, saw this was the pattern, all the rotation stuff went away. Because once I fixed the side bending, that was the driver of the rotation issues. So anyway, uh, this pattern, I, I won't go into the, the you know, neurological reason why this is happening. But the big reason that this pattern is happening in people is usually because of some problem down the same side of the pelvis that's elevated. And the mistake that a lot of practitioners make is when they see an elevated pelvis, they say, oh, well, you've got a leg length discrepancy. Absolutely not. This is a completely a functional compensation and then they give pattern. You, then they give you a heel lift. <laughs> then you get a heel lift. And then you, right. yeah, yeah. Then you get another, another whole sort of problems yeah. with that. And, yeah. and then you wonder why you're not getting better. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Because this and this this is why it's perplexing to me that we haven't standardized measuring leg length discrepancies. And, and and we could go into all yeah. of that. But 
But anyway, it's very simply corrected. I mean, I can correct that by by having someone walk 10 steps. It's so easy to correct. But ultimately, the, the driver of that pattern is this some old injury on, on the right side. Mm, interesting. And so that just like, um, so it was the result of the, and this is what happens. I mean, not that pregnancy is an injury, but it's an example of like your body makes changes in that nine months and then it has to come back together, but your brain is still had adapted to that. So with pregnant women, they'll often blame, you know, their abdominals are weak or that, which might be true, but often it's that their lower spine, their lower T-spine, upper L, L-spine, it has been in that flex position because of expanding. And it isn't so much, there could be a, there could be a pelvic tilt, but a lot of times it's the thorax. And then they, the mem, you know, that's, you adjust to something and you don't even realize you've adjusted to it. So it's similar with an injury, might've adjusted to it, might've adapted to some like less weight bearing on that side or whatever. And then all those tissues kind of, it's like a saran wrap that just pulled it and held it. And then, yeah, then you think you have a leg length discrepancy. So what are some things, I know you can't go into deep people, but somebody like, say somebody's like listening and they think, oh my gosh, I think I have that. What are some remedies that people can do some simple remedies to help that uh the side bending pattern yeah the, the side extension? the side bending pattern okay so first of all uh this is where a lot of people have a hard time because they dismiss old injuries as the source of the problem of the current pain that they're having and so i i had an email exchange recently with a woman and she, she was saying, you know, she's got this sciatic pain and all this kind of stuff. I said, I'm going to guess that your pelvis is elevated on that side and your rib cage is depressed. She says, how did you know that? I said, well, that's the way this works. She's, I, she said, well, how do I fix it? I said, well, ultimately, this is because of some old injury that you've got on that same side. And she said, I have no other injuries. I said, I beg to differ. Your body is telling me otherwise, you know, and even though I haven't even seen her. And so we went back and forth a few times. And then she's like, oh, my God, I just remembered this injury. I've been dealing with it for the last three years. It's a chronic hamstring strain. I said, well, whatever is causing your chronic hamstring strain, and it happened to be on the same side, is the same thing that's causing this pattern of issues in your pelvis and back, and therefore now your sciatic pain. So this is the – and I was even talking with a PTA just recently and diagnosing his hip problem. And he didn't – and I said, look – he has a left hip problem, I said, but it's coming from your right side. You're compensating. And he said, yeah, but I don't have any old, I mean, I had a couple ankle sprains and, and then we were talking <laughs> a little bit, right? And, and they were a long time ago. And then we were talking again after our session and, and he said, you know, I, there was a PT who said that my soleus was shorter on my right side than my left side. And it's always been tighter. I said, that's the source of your problem because his pain was exacerbated when he was running slower. Well, running slower causes it. It means that he has to use his right leg more and and it has to flex a little bit more and stay in that sustained flexion. Well, his ankle isn't allowing that to happen. So it's throwing everything back to his left. And that's why his left side is breaking down. Mm, so so, so ultimately, this is it's very difficult, even for medical people like him, a PTA, you know, to to wrap their head around an old injury causing something current even if you've been to pt had surgery to correct or whatever and it, it's not painful because your brain is sent this is pattern is happening because your brain is sensing something is wrong here and so the brain is gradually pulling that pelvis up and the same muscles that pull the pelvis up are pulling the ribcage down so you get this side bending problem because your brain is saying i've got to get off this thing you know, you're making me do things that's causing me to really use this leg, but we can't do that. So I'm going to get off of this leg a little bit. And that's why these patterns start to develop. So that would be the biggest thing I would encourage people to. Yeah. So to can do. you explain to people that are listening, and I'm sure this is in Thomas Hanna's work, but why the brain stays in that pattern once it's kind of developed yes. it? Yes. So this, this goes back into our, uh, we're born with these uh, deep reflexes. One of them is a Landau reflex. And we use this reflex, and this is a hardwired pattern in our bodies, folks. So 
what we, we use the Landau reflex to lift our head when we're crawling. And then we use that Landau reflex, we tap into these reflex patterns because they control a whole system of movement in our body, not just one joint. So to lift your head, you have to engage your back muscles. And so the Landau reflex is, is, is engaging this whole extension pattern of stuff that Dr. Saruman, Thomas Myers, and Dr. Hannah all identified. So that's the first use of the Landau reflex. And then when you start to stand up, you tap into that Landau reflex even more because it's helping your trunk stay erect and your head up. So you're reflexively moving through life your first few months. All right. Now, the second hardwired reflex that we have is called uh, a withdrawal reflex. And if you pull up on YouTube, uh, a baby putting their foot down, you know, you'll see the whole leg withdraw from that stimulus. Well, it's not just the hip and the knee that's withdrawing. It's the whole waist and pelvis that's withdrawing, too. This whole system is part of the withdrawal reflex. As we grow, our cerebral cortex overrides these reflexes because we can't go through our days reflexively responding to every stimulus that we encounter, right? So they, they hum along in the background the whole time. And so, but they're still present and they still control the same muscles. So this is the reflex pattern that we're tapping into when we have some old thing that's wrong with that leg but our conscious brain isn't identifying with it. Our subconscious brain is saying, something's wrong here. There's something that's not strong enough. It's not weak, it's weak or injured or some way. So I'm just gonna get off of that slowly but surely. And so you can go run your 10 miles or you can go lift weights in the gym or whatever it is that you're doing. I that love that. Ex yeah, I love that explanation. And I think it shows that you can still function. You can still do the things. Oh, yeah. But all that is still happening and making it in many ways worse because it's it's just creating uh, more time um, to 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 create a, a, a worsened imbalance. And Correct. then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, quote unquote, you have pain. So yes. I always say it's been working there for a while. Um, yeah. I'd love to know your kind of take on something I see a lot Um is in this in this shoulder and scapula this I call oh. it the slopey shoulder mm. and a lot of people will be you know it's 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 the overstrain syndrome of, of the upper mm -hmm. trapezius and then people continue to stretch it because the signals are getting is that this is sore and they need to stretch it I'm like you don't need to stretch that we need this the, the humeral the humeral head has just been kind of sinking down there's like some uh, mm -hmm. downward rotation and stuff what what do you recommend for something like that? Because I I'm sure it's been there all along, but I feel like it's it's maybe in my range more now because of maybe sedentary lifestyle or whatever. And again, not enough people are getting on their weight bearing through their hands to get all that kind of sensorial and input uh, for their scapular muscles to be more dynamically stable. This is such a great question. I'm so glad you touched on it <laughs> yeah. because this is one of the biggest surprises that's occurring in the body that is flying under the radar of almost all practitioners. Okay, not me. So, I see it all the time. <laughs> not, yeah. But yes, but I, that's why I wanted, I was like, you're, you're my guy. I can tell we speak the same language. Like, this is a big thing. Like I see it all big the thing. time. Yeah. So, but why are we seeing it all the time? It's yeah. a real question, right? Mm -hmm. So Folks, if, if you're looking at the skeleton, and you can pull up a Google picture if you want to, uh, you'll notice that the architecture of the body is th such that all the bones are long. We've got all these long bones everywhere that are going, but we have two areas of, are of bone that are flat and broad. One of those is the pelvis. And we all know that the pelvis is the center of function for our lower body and back system, right? The other area is the shoulder blade. So that is also the center of function for our upper extremity system. And that includes the neck and the head. And the reason is, is because there are muscular attachments from the shoulder blade directly into the neck and the base of the skull. All right, so your question is, you know, what's going on from my standpoint uh, with this kind of pain in the neck, right? Very common. So. The way the, the body works is when there are big muscles that control things in our bodies. One of, in the, in the upper body system, it's the trapezius, which is massive, and the serratus anterior, okay, which lies deep to the shoulder blade and inserts into all of our rib cage here. 
So when there is dysfunction in these bigger movers and shakers, which I describe as hand muscles, they're powerful, they do lots of different things, the, for, the brunt of the work then falls to the deeper, smaller muscles deep to them. One of those is the levator scapula, which starts at the corner of the shoulder blade here on the inside and points up, goes up into C1 through four, sometimes five. And so levator means it elevates, right? So it is overworking trying to elevate your scapula for you because the bigger players aren't positioning the scapula in the right position. So when you're complaining of this kind of pain, like right here, you know, oh, it's just burning right there all the time. That's the levator scapula, not necessarily the upper trapezius because the upper trapezius is this massive thing, right? Why would just a small strand of muscle of the upper trapezius be injured? No, it's the levator scapula that's deep to it. Okay, so this is what that pain is happening because the levator scapula is being asked to do too much. Why is it being asked to do too much? The most common reason is because the shoulder blades are sitting too low. All right, it's called a depressed scapula. And I'll show you, Laura, this is a really quick and easy test that you can do for your, for your people to see if this is the case with their chronic neck pain. So I call it the armpit test. So because we have too many tests with lots of fancy names, <laughs> this one just says what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So what you do is you stand behind. So you have that person move their head around, up and down, all sorts, and get a sense of where their pain is, their movement restriction. And so what you do is you stand behind them and you put your hands. And folks, you can have your spouses do this at home. It's not a, a difficult test, all right? Then they put their hands underneath your armpits and they lift up the shoulder girdle like a half inch or an inch. And then they jiggle it around a little bit because if you've been in chronic pain, you're holding on a lot. And we've got to get you to let go of that system so that we can see where your pain is coming from. So anyway, we lift that up for maybe 30 seconds. And then I ask them to move their head around again. All right. I'll tell you, anyone with chronic neck pain or headaches, 99% of these people will say, oh, my God, that feels so much better. All right. And then for those few people that say, I don't feel any difference, those are the people that are so tense, they can't let go of their system. So then, but they'll feel it on the next part of the test, which is then we lower the shoulder blades back down. And then they're just like, oh my God, I feel this. I feel that on my neck now. I didn't feel it before, but now I know what you're talking about. So uh, this is the cause of what, you know, of everything sitting too low is that the shoulder blades are sitting too low. Why are the shoulder blades sitting too low? Because we have been using our shoulder blades to create good posture. That's not their role in our bodies, though. Their role is to help move the arm overhead and lift things, not to create good posture. The core is the reason is are the muscles to create good posture. And we can go into this a little bit in my take on that. But anyway, so. What is happening is that people, to create good posture, they're squeezing their shoulder blades back. Which all, And if you squeeze the shoulder blades back, we have these massive scapular depressors that you're activating when you're doing that. And so what that's doing is pulling them down and back. But that's the opposite of the function of the shoulder blade. There are rules about how this thing should be resting and moving. And the whole purpose of the shoulder blade is to assist the arm in overhead motions. And to do that, it has to elevate and rotate. But when you depress your shoulder blades all the time, you're short circuiting that programming and it doesn't work anymore. And that's when we develop all of this stuff. So there are some things that we can do ergonomically to help you with that. Um, but anyway, from my standpoint, this is what's going on with that I love that. I love that. And, you know, I do the same thing under the armpit, but I tell people to take a little towel, just put it there to give the armpit support mm -hmm. and do that for like, you know, five, 10 minutes. Inevitably, people will be like, like you said, I, oh my gosh, this totally took away my pain in a short amount of time because it, and it's just to give you an idea of like how that poor, I always say that little, that humeral head is just drooping down and everybody up here is like, help. Yeah, and the levator yes. scapula is such a small muscle attaching to that medial um, part of it is just is 
is is really it's strained and then of course right. that can lead to all kinds of other things neck pain shoulder pain headaches etc position of the skull forward all the time doesn't help either <laughs> you know in our forehead head and the, i mean we could get into all that and how the clav you know it's just it's there's a lot of small stuff around here but it's significant if you are not positioned well in your daily life um and you're not you don't have this center of that line of energy going through, you know, that's where I think our original, when we started PT school and looked at the plumb line, what the plumb line really has taught me is it's a spectrum, but it is an energetic ideal for us because then everything is better balanced um, around that so that, you know, once, once something is off of that a little bit, the, the slack has to be taken up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can talk about forward head and all that kind of stuff and core activation for. Yeah, so tell me about like, yeah, so so why don't you tell me a little bit about the core activation part? You're saying that people are trying to use their, a lot of times they'll, it's that whole like, oh, you know, pull your shoulders back, you know, right. up, that's how I get good posture. Right. Um, but what, how do, how do we use the core? I mean, I, I know, but yeah. I want to hear what you're, what you have to well, say. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. take you through how I teach it. How's that? Oh, good. Okay. So folks, you can do this at home too. All right. So what I want, I'm going to back up a little bit here. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to do is you're going to put one hand on your chest and the other hand on your belly. And what I'd like you to do is take a nice deep breath in and you'll feel your rib cage rise when you do that. And now exhale and you'll feel that rib cage lower again. This time, what I'd like you to do is uh, take that nice deep breath again, feel the rib cage rising just like it did before. And when you exhale, let the rib cage go down 99% of the way, but not 100% of the way. And when you stop that rib cage from going down, you're going to notice that there's some tension that is developed in your belly area. Not a maximal contraction, 5 or 10% at max, but it's developed. But notice that it's happened on its own. You don't have to contract this to think about this for it to contract. All you have to do is not let the rib cage fall all the way, and it will do all the work necessary. So this is the core, and this is why we have such huge, broad core muscles holding up the rib cage uh, system, all right? So that's what's supposed to hold our posture up. So the second part of this equation is, if you've been using shoulder blades, now you've got to hold in your rib cage up. Now go ahead and jiggle your shoulders around, move the arms around, and let those completely relax like two loose ropes. I mean, really let it go. And what most people will notice is when they've let their shoulders go, they just let their rib cage go too. And now their stomach is not engaged. And it's because they've tied this to lifting the rib cage instead of using the core to hold the rib cage up for them. So this would be the practice. The first step to long-term solutions is to stop activating all of these scapular muscles, which are most of them are scapular depressors right? To hold your posture and instead start getting your core to hold your posture. And, you know, I don't, this, this isn't common, Laura, but I never give core strengthening exercises. This is how I strengthen the core because the core is not weak because it's weak. It's weak because neurologically we're not using it. Exactly. And, and so what this do, does is it neurologically awakens the core. You have all the strength that you need. You're just not using it. And so sit-ups aren't going to do this for you. You have to use your core the way it's designed to be used. And I'll add to that, you know, when you were people that aren't watching, what he was doing is really like kind of pushing the chest forward to get the scapula more retracted to help the posture. That happens automatically when your knees lock back because there has to be a counter to that. So going down the chain and bring, looping it back in from the very beginning, yes. if your knees are locked back, it's really hard to let your ribs settle back into their more neutral position and not be thrust forward. So if you have a hard time doing those two things, take the, you know, again, bend the knees and get the settle the pelvis so that you can do that. I'm yeah. so glad you made that connection because you're absolutely right. If you lock your knees, it's going to trigger this whole pattern of extension problems, right? Exactly. And this is why unlocking the knees for that back pain patient, 
solved so many things and it solved so many other problems, upper extremity and lower extremity for a lot of people. Yeah. And getting into the brain mapping stuff. So, cause I teach this again in yoga because in yoga, there's like, you know, the, like the lock the knees and then this big and sun salutation and then come forward. And the reason I stopped, I was like, no, let's not do that. Is that is mimicking that extension pattern. So right. people might say, well, I don't have back pain. Well, why are you serving your brain information about a pattern you don't want to do? Like, it's like, you know, to me, it's like being, I always say, <laughs> movement is like dog training. We shouldn't send mixed messages to the brain because we want to be really clear about what we want to be doing. And the way we do that is not, you know, go in the way we don't want to go, even if it doesn't hurt right now. Right. right? So, yeah. I, I think like the sun salutation or, you know, other things that bring the body into this extreme extension. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay because our body is designed to do that. But if we think that that's how we should be, even outside of that exercise regimen or yep. yoga class or whatever, that's where the mistake is happening is that people are applying that, oh, this is better. Okay, I'll be up here all day long. No, it's that was just a pose and an exercise, yeah. not an instruction for the rest of your life outside of this class. So, right, and repetitively doing it, I feel like just kind yeah. of is basically just moving the ribs and the knees right. back. I we're prefer having it like when already. we're, exactly, when we're not yeah. like weight-bearing on two feet, I think doing like that extension work, yeah. you know, in other ways, yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead, what you're gonna talk about. Well, I wanted to show you the connection between the scapular depression and the side bending problem that we talked about earlier. Oh, good, too. good. Okay. So if uh, folks, I'm holding up the, ske- the skeleton again. All right. And you'll notice that on the, uh, on the skeleton, the shoulder blade is resting on the rib cage. And we've just identified that the problem with most chronic neck and headaches is that the shoulder blades are resting too low, which is then causing the levator scapula, which is the single tiny little pinky muscle it's struggling to hold things up. And that's why everyone feels like their shoulders are up too high. They're not up too high. It's your levator scapula trying to do all of the work of holding up this 25 or 30 pound system, which is your shoulder blade in your arm, right? So it's overworked. Your shoulders aren't up too high. All right. So if we buy into this idea that, oh, okay, maybe my shoulder blades are too low because I, I have been using my shoulder blades to create posture. So the shoulder blades rest on the rib cage. Now, if we go back to that side bending problem that I mentioned earlier, where the pelvis is elevated and the rib cage is depressed, well, when the rib cage depresses, you've just depressed the shoulder blade too. So that's one more depressor coming, uh, feeding into the neck pain and headaches. And ultimately, if we believe that the side bending problem is happening from some older injury here in your leg, this is connecting the foot all the way up to the top of the head. This is the pattern for unilateral neck and shoulder pain uh, and headaches and things like that that are chronic that you can't seem to get rid of. So that's why you can fix the scapular system and you'll feel good, but it may come back if you haven't addressed the side bending problem, which is one of the feeders into that whole system or pattern. We're all, it's all connected for sure. Oh my gosh. But we weren't taught this in PT school, right? No, no. I mean, well, some (laughs) of it I have to say, it depends on the teachers. Like I had a kinesiology teacher who I always reference and she was very Shirley Sarman like, and interestingly, when I was in PT school at Duke, my brother was in PT school at WashU and he had Shirley Sarman. So he would send me all the, you know, this is back in the day, but, um, so I did have a really amazing kinesiology teacher and she would say, never look at, don't look at the pain. Don't look at the pain. That was like her first message. Great. And yeah, so we spent, a lot of time on that. I would say then getting into a clinical setting, probably that kind of myopic view is more reinforced. But I went into rehab and I then I became, uh, my specialization is in neurodevelopmental. So it is totally looking. So I didn't get kind of in any box until I did do some orthopedic um, stuff later. And I could see how, you know, it just, it gets into that. But I don't think Generally speaking, if you don't have a Shirley Sarman or like my my um, my Dr. V, who is my kinesiology teacher, kind of preaching how everything is interrelated and how the brain is in charge of it all, and that the nervous system is, you know, adapts to the way the ways that we adjust, whether it's from injury or habit or something, 
then you are going to just look at the components. And that is, we aren't just arms or torso or legs, but all, all those systems um, really feed into each other and either support or don't each other. Yes. And then when you add emotional trauma into the yes. mix, right, the emotional trauma will deepen the pattern that you seem to be stuck in. And so this is why, but this is the interesting thing I found, Laura, is that if I can release that pattern, and this is the beauty of Hannah Somatics, is that it neurologically releases all the muscles in the pattern rather than just one or two here or there. And I find that uh, when I release that whole pattern, psychologically, they feel more relaxed too. And their anxiety or trauma, it, it's like, it, it feeds itself. It's this loop, right? This yin and yang kind of thing. The brain Absolutely. and the body. And we I've always seen this, say yeah, that. I'm, yeah, go ahead. We always say that they're connected, but there's not, there's no, it's, it's hard to integrate this connection into practice to actually solve pain. Absolutely. And so this is, I found that the Hannah Somatics has helped me greatly uh, calm emotional trauma. I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not doing the talk therapy part of it, but calming the body calms the mind. Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Yeah, I've seen so many people over the last year alone with uh, chronic regional pain syndrome. And for all of them, for all of them, there was some emotional trauma and some huge emotional trauma, but that all they're looking at is like, you know, my fingers are burning, my foot, all this stuff. And then they're going and getting all these injections. And I just was like, okay, first of all, you just have to know you're okay. Let's just start there. And it's, it's um, like you said, we, some people, a lot of people I think recognize it, but we, it is not in practice at all. It is like, you're having pain down your arm. Let's give you an injection up here, you know? And it's like, whoa, well, why, why is maybe the arm mm -hmm. is nothing to do with it. It's all this overloading um, in our stress responses that has led to this. And I, I really believe there's so much there, but Again, in a clinical setting, we're often not given the time or luxury to to investigate that. Right. Well, the the third pattern, uh, uh, reflex pattern that Thomas Hanna identifies and treats is the startle reflex pattern, which is another deep, deep reflex pattern that we're born with. And you can see videos of this on YouTube. If you watch people scaring other people, you'll see the they blink their eyes hard, the shoulders go up, and they curl in to protect their viscera, right? This is a hardwired deep reflex pattern. So trauma taps into the startle reflex pattern as well. And the this uh, withdrawal reflex pattern that creates side bending problems is also called a trauma reflex pattern. Mm. So uh, that also is the pattern that's typically uh, tapped into with emotional psychological trauma. And then finally, if you imagine that you're suffering from anxiety and you always are on the lookout for danger, Right now, you're tapping into the Landau reflex pattern, which is causing and, and feeding into this whole extension pattern system. Right. I'm I'm laughing because I I call that the meerkat, like coming out and yes. like looking all around, like where's the danger? And it's like a lot right. of people are like little meerkats, and they have this like they're just trapped there. Totally. Yes. Fear based. So yeah. Breaking breaking that pattern neurologically using the Hannah somatics techniques helps them see that they are trapped and what their body and mind feels like when it's unlocked. Mm. And I found it very difficult to unlock that pattern with just Dr. Saruman's and Thomas Meyer's information. I needed this neurological approach, which has been hugely powerful. And I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that's one thing we definitely, at least when I was in PT school, there was very little talk about the emotional state influencing our movement, influencing our breathing. I mean, of course, some of the breathing, like we learned it in, in those kind of nervous system sympathetic, but in terms mm -hmm. of like these, this, the fascia, like carrying this energy mm -hmm. and then carrying the um, energy from the nervous system, feeding subconsciously that we're kind of always on guard and we're not even aware of it. And that is something that I think more and more people are needing now. Yeah. I, well, I've developed a, this, I, my theory on how trauma 
actually physically creates the stuck pattern. We don't have to geek out on that, but I, I, I believe that there is a pathway for this. And I've, I think I've maybe figured it out through all the fashion research that I've been reading. So I would love to have you back on for part uh, two, because that should be an entire podcast. Yeah. Um, Like I said, I think it's probably always been around, but I think it's people are now recognizing that it's not just musculoskeletal and that, um, you know, that this is another way of healing that is incredibly beneficial that goes beyond what our limitations are, like you said, and just looking at. um, It's something that is talked about right? The mind-body connection. Oh, your trauma is causing tension. But you don't find anything in literature that describes the pathway mm. by which this occurs. And All right. We're going to have you a... back for part two. I can tell. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's pretty. Because that deserves an I may be that really wrong, does. but I, I, yeah. it makes sense to me that this is No, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Um, <laughs> well, we could talk for uh, so long. It's been such a pleasure, but I know people are going to be very interested in like looking at what you've written I and mean, you've written books on this, you've written, you have like a free ebook, you have YouTube, tell everybody all the things that you um, have out there so that people can find you and get your stuff. Okay. Well, I, I wrote the Fix New series of books about 10 or 12 years ago after Dr. Shirley Saruman's courses. Uh, I ran, I made friends with a PT and he happened to be finishing the courses when I did. I said, Hey, how's this information working for you? He says, eh, I said, are you kidding me? This is like solving chronic pain. He's like, yeah, but I'm a manual therapist. So maybe I'll use it for, you know, and that's when I realized that our belief systems, our belief patterns are filtering out information that could be really useful for our patients. Mm, yeah. And so I thought I've got to write these books because Dr. Schuller Saruman's textbooks, no one's ever going to read those. No, right? I know. And people ask me, can you, can, they're not, they're lay people. I'm like, you're not going to want to read this. Like no. a lot of PTs can't get through it. <laughs> I've read her both of her textbooks like three to five times. Oh, me too. Yeah. I mean, mine are like just falling apart. But I yeah. just the the if you haven't gone to if you haven't gone down that pathway, it's yeah. they're going to be too heavy for you. Yeah. So I wrote these fixing you series of books as an end around practitioners. Ah, good. To, for lay people to say, hey, look at this information. It's it, it can solve your pain. And so anyway, uh, but if you go. If you look at my back pain book, there's like 80 different exercises in there because I'm trying to solve every possible you know, problem, right? But only my clinic for the last 10 years has taught me that this stuff is occurring in patterns of, of issues. And so the same pattern that might cause back pain in you might be causing sciatic pain in another or SI joint pain in a third. And so, and it's, but it's all the same pattern, which simplifies treating this stuff so much. And so that's when I decided, you know, I'm going to make my home, these home programs that are, you know, fine tuned and honed down to solve these patterns of problems, which will then solve most, most pain, depending on where you are. So that's why I've now created these downloadable home programs, their videos, and uh, to guide people to solve their pain. Uh, And if you type fixing you, all one word, F-I-X-I-N-I-N-G-U-Y-O-U, all in the coupon code. You can get 20% off on that. And then, but what I've also done is I've created a a training program for all of my therapists because I wouldn't let any therapist work at my clinic until I trained them in this approach. And so what I use to train them, I've, I've developed into an online training program for all health and wellness practitioners, regardless of whether you're a coach or a surgeon and everything else in between. And for PTs, I I offer 30 CEUs uh, for most states. Uh, or give me 30 CEUs for that. But anyway, uh, so that's also on my rickolderman.com website. And that fixing you code also works for that program as well. And then uh, I've got a new book coming out next year. (laughs) What's it called? It's called Solving the Pain Puzzle. And there it's 25, it's uh, cases from 25 years as a physical therapist. So in my original fixing you series of books, I talk mostly about the anatomy physiology of all of the stuff that you and I have been talking about. And I have these little client connection stories to highlight, to show how it manifested in this client. And I've gotten over the years, so many comments of people who have identified with those client connection stories. I decided to write a book of client connection stories 
And so the anatomy and physiology is in front and center. It's how we went through and solved the problems that are, mm. that is front and center. So, Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Wow. And you can pre-order that on my website too. And I have some chapters of it on my website. If you want to read some chapters from that book, I've even created audios of the chapters if you're not a reader. So, oh, I saw, I saw that on your website, all yeah. the, the different people and the different client kind of basically their, their journey and their testimonial of it. Um, and I think you're so right that there are a lot of different ways people can experience pain or whatever, but there's a lot of similarities across, right? And I think mm -hmm. that um, using real people example, I'm sure that others will be able to identify and, and learn so much from that. Well, thank you. I love your passion. I love um, your path. It sounds so similar to mine. And I think it's just this quest to help people in the best way and to also simplify simplify the information so that it lands and that it's applicable. Because we know as, you know, when you go to a clinic and you give somebody home exercises, it's a joke. Most people don't do it. But if you actually talk about how to incorporate these very kind of easy things to do in their daily life and once and and then being able to feel the difference i think it's it's so impactful so thank you for all of that and we oh, will have you back favorite. for part 2 all right we'll geek out on that stuff totally all right everybody <laughs> i hope you love this as much as i did and as always i'm pulling for you Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.